Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a great break. I wanted to let you know about something that I've been talking a lot about on social media at Zibby Owens, which is the hashtag 22 in 22 challenge. We are at Zibby Books. We are encouraging everybody, like all of you, to visit 22 bookstores in 2022. And we're going to provide a whole series of incentives for every five visits, and you'll be entered to win a $500 shopping spree, and you'll get fun things like bookmarks and all the rest. Plus, you'll be part of a great community of people all helping support bookstores, authors, and more. We're really, really excited about it. If you want to join, sign up. You just go to 22in22.net. That's 22in22.net and click I'm in and put your information. And then every time you go to a bookstore, you just quickly go back on the site and click log a bookstore visit. And then we'll be keeping track and we'll be following up with all of your different achievements and awards and everything. So please sign up, spread the word, 22 and 22, get your friends to join and start visiting bookstores and it'll be really fun and exciting. So here's to a wonderful 2022. I'm so excited that you're listening to my podcast and doing all the fun things that I have been trying to bring into the world. So here we go, 2022, hashtag 22 and 22. Susan Orlean is the author of On Animals. She has been a staff writer at The New Yorker since 1992 and is the New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including The Library Book, Rin Tin Tin, Saturday Night, and The Orchid Thief, which was made into the Academy Award-winning film Adaptation. 
She lives with her family and her animals in Los Angeles and can be reached at susanorlean.com and on Twitter at Susan Orlean. This is her second appearance on my podcast. The first was for the library book. So go back and listen to that one too. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for coming back on Two Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books for your latest on animals. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. And it's such a pleasure to be back again. Aww. I know last time we were in person, so it's not quite the same, but your your publicist sent me a copy, but I also subscribed to your literati box, I have to say. So I got it from that. I love it. I love your literati box. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. It's so much fun. And as you know, it's such a pleasure to turn the spotlight on, on different books. It's just a treat. Can you share like another one coming up? We just started Patty Clark, Ha 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 by Roddy Doyle. Amazing book. And it's a little older than some of the titles I've been choosing, but luckily that doesn't matter. And I feel like anybody who missed it first time around, this is a great chance to introduce them to this, you know, magnificent book. Amazing. Well, yes, anyone listening who loves Susan Arlene, which is probably most of you, go to Literati and you can get a box of her picks every month, right? Every month? Anyway, very yeah. cool. Okay, let's talk about On Animals, which was amazing. I mean, I did not realize you were this <laughs> much of an animal person, animals of all shapes and sizes and types and everything. Tell me about why you wrote this collection, why now, all of it. Oh, this is an interesting experience. And I know many have already been written. I didn't mean to suggest you sat down and wrote them. So, yeah. Oh, of course. And uh, some of the material was newly written for the sake of doing collection. Doing a collection is a wonderful pleasure. It's, it's a privilege, really, to take work and that's been published in magazines and put them together, both because it's a different experience to have the material in a book. It makes it a sort of permanent document that's kind of wonderful. But if it's a thematic collection, as this one was, there is a bigger story that you're trying to tell. In this case, it also came about, interestingly, as a result of COVID. I think many of us during this period of time have been looking back on our lives and being kind of reflective about what we've done, what we want to do, what matters, what doesn't matter, you know, the, the impulses that come from being in rather extreme circumstances. So I was looking back over my career and just thinking about what if I really address regularly? What are the things that have mattered to me? Coincidentally, I also did what a lot of people did during COVID, which is I got a puppy. <laughs> Adding to my menagerie of a dog and a cat, I got a puppy. And so did just about everybody I know during COVID. I thought that was kind of interesting. Why is it that we, so many of us had this impulse during a time of great anxiety to get a pet? Well, that began kind of coalescing with this other idea of looking at my work and thinking, what have I addressed regularly in my stories? 
And it emerged almost instantly that I've written many, many pieces about animals. And those pieces kind of look at recurring themes about animals and about our living with animals. Putting the stories together seemed to me to actually emphasize the the sort of underlying themes about what is it like to coexist on a planet with these other creatures? What is our responsibility to them since we are kind of the apex predator? What is our responsibility to the animals that we share the earth with? What is the the sort of, what are the questions that arise out of captivity? Do we do it right? Is it right to ever keep animals captive? And then the question of what our relationship is with those animals that work for us. And that may sound like a funny phrase, but when you think about it, there are lots of animals that we have a kind of working relationship with. Livestock, horses, donkeys, chickens, you know, these animals that we don't keep as pets exactly, but that we have a relationship with. And over the years, you know, I get to pick my own subject matter and I just keep gravitating to these stories about animals. So it became very natural to me to put them together. Interesting. I feel like when I talked to Danny Shapiro a while ago, you know, when, when about inheritance, she was saying, you know, when she looks back, so much of her work is about this like search for a, a identity and father and whatever, and it all made sense later. Do you have something like that makes it all make sense? Like, yes, you've identified the theme of the work, but like, do you know deep down where it really all comes from, or is there? You know, not that you're really related to a chicken or something, but <laughs> do you know what I'm trying yeah. to say? <laughs> Uh, Yes, absolutely. I think that the themes that I really return to regularly are about how we strive to have some sense of what our place is in the world. And, you know, from The Orchid Thief on, a lot of the things I've written about have been about trying, what is it that we do? to make ourselves feel like we have a sense of where we fit into the chaos of existence, whether it's collecting every orchid species known to man, whether it's with the library book about preserving stories, there's something that we need in our lives to make us feel that they make sense. And what is it that that we choose for for that purpose? So interesting. Wow. I mean, I I had never personally thought about my relationship with animals this much, but when you shine a light on any area, right? I, I feel like when you get to a when you start evaluating your own interests like from the outside, it gets even more interesting. I feel like that's what oh, you're yeah. doing, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wrote the the opening and closing essays in the book are are personal. They're first person about my long history with animals and then about my life on our farm in the Hudson Valley when I had 
more animals than I've ever had in my life. And then the stories in the sort of body of the book are more journalistic, where I was writing about stories that had emerged or scenarios that really interested me that had an animal at the center of it. Many of these stories seem to be about animals. They're really all ultimately about people because, you know, the people around the animals are the ones that are revealed the most explicitly. So, and, you know, whether it's um, a animal biologist who's goal in life is to see the whale from the Free Willy movies set free, or, you know, if you're the owner of a show dog and your dream is for this dog to achieve stardom, there's a way that these relationships give the life of the, that person a certain order and meaning and purpose that I mean, I certainly can relate to that. I think there's no one who doesn't understand that fundamental need to feel that you have a goal, that you have some purpose in your life that, you know, in the past, for many people, that purpose would have been religion or the raising of children. But beyond that, there's this bigger urge, which is what's, what does my life mean and what matters to me in, in my life? And quite often we find that meaning through a relationship with animals. Wow. Well, that's very well said. <laughs> Love that. So when you market a book like this, right, you've been writing for so successfully for a while. And this is obviously very different from your last novel. When you go out on the road to sell a new book or think about what you're even going to do next, like what kinds of considerations come into your, like, do you try to alternate or are you like, what's going to come after this? Like, is there an overarching strategy or is it what moves me or what am I feeling? Or I don't know. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything it might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. 
online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Well, it's interesting because collections are a completely different entity than a book that's a single story. And I happen to think they're kind of wonderful because you they're bite-sized pieces as opposed to a commitment to a single topic. I wouldn't release I, I don't think you want to release collections back to back. They almost serve as a kind of mid-course palate cleanser because they just they're just different. They're, you know, it's previously published work. None of the stories go at I mean, these pieces are all very long by the standards of a magazine piece, but People, I don't think you want to publish collection after collection. So I had just published the library book, which was, you know, a single topic that got the full 300 page treatment. And I'm working now on a memoir. Part of what was nice was to put together a collection to come out between those two. And, you know, it's almost, I mean, it's like they, a teaser. Well, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, collections are a lot more work than they would appear. It's funny because you think, oh, easy. You just take all your clips and put them together between covers and there you have your book. But it's not like that. It really is a lot of work and a lot of thought that goes into putting them together. But it it is nice as particularly for me, because I really think of myself equally as a magazine writer and a book writer. So this represents that range that a magazine gives you. You can spend a certain amount of time on a story and then move on to the next one and the next one. So this, I love the way that a collection kind of informs you of that big range of subjects. But I think people overall really love a book that digs into one subject deeply. I think, you know, people sit down with a book and want that deep dive into a single topic. So, you know, putting out collection after collection, I don't think would be a good it, it would be hard to market that if we just want to talk purely commercially. I think 
overall single subject books just sell much more than collections. And and tell me about the memoir. I'm so excited to hear you're writing one. Oh, thank you. Well, I have a lot of, it's funny because I've made my entire professional life about writing about other people's lives. (laughs) And I've always felt a little shy about writing about my own life and feeling like, oh, who cares about my life? You know, I, I don't have such an extraordinary life. And yet when I think about what I've done in my experiences, I really have had a very interesting life. I mean, not everybody gets to do what I get to do. And it, so this has been a process of persuading myself to not undervalue the the stories that I have to tell. I mean, even telling people the backstory of the pieces that I've written, I realize is quite interesting. And, and it's not like the life that everybody leads or... You know, I'm so often asked about the backstory behind The Orchid Thief and the resulting film adaptation. And it's a very funny story. It's a very interesting journey to have been on. And I think having grown up in an era of memoirs, I have a little bit of a resistance feeling like, well, not everybody's life is that interesting. And Not every memoir really needs to be written. And so I've been very resistant to this idea until finally I thought, I think I'm being a little overly resistant that these stories really are interesting. And and I have had an unusual life. I'm very excited to read it. I love memoir. And I know the little snippets that you revealed about your mom and everything in the library book. I don't know. I can't wait to... Again, do you have a title yet? You know, that's been the tricky thing. We've been calling it provisionally true story, but I'm not sure if we'll end up with that title. And to be honest with you, every book I've ever written had the title change (laughs) between the time that we conceived of it and the time it's been published. And in this case, it's not, it's useful to have a provisional title, but I would be surprised if if we stayed with that. I, I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't love it. I have, I think it's cute, but I have a memoir coming out in July. I'm like super excited about it, a little bit. Oh. Nervous. Yeah, I'm really excited, but I changed the title like a million times, a million. Now it's called Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. So I'm very excited about where we ended up, but it was called The Book Messenger and it was called Booked and it was called, I don't even know. We just kept I just couldn't be happy with it until now I'm finally happy with it. Oh, I love that. Thank you. You know, titling a memoir is tricky because there are, I mean, part of my problem with the title True Story is I feel like there probably have been a million books called True Story, or it sounds like there have been a million books. It doesn't feel distinctive. And it's hard. You know, the the range of possible titles for a memoir feels fairly constrained. So everybody, a lot of them sound a little bit alike. Mm -hmm. And, and I do think book titles matter. I really do. I think 
book titles matter, book jackets matter, and you want to get it right. Yes, very true. There was just a really interesting article about that, I think in LitHub, about the importance of book covers. And anyway, I mean, obviously they are very important, but. I think, you know, the nature of of the creation of a book, I mean, it's interesting because you write the book and you do as good a job as you can possibly do. And then there's the entire physical presentation of the book that is what readers interact with first. They interact first with the cover, with the title, with the feel of the, you know, the dust jacket. And when you write a book, you sometimes forget how important that is and how that makes a difference between whether someone may pick up a book or not or remember it or not. And I've been very lucky. I feel like I've had fantastic packages for all of my books and I'm very, I'm very involved in it and, and feel also like the Pete, the designers have been fantastic writing coming up with a title is a really tricky thing. And being good at writing a 3,000 word piece doesn't necessarily mean you're good at coming up with a book title. It's a different, you know, it's this little telegraphic bit of information that if you're used to writing long, lovely sentences, you may not have the talent for picking out two or three words that really convey what a book is about. I'm lucky because my publisher is an incredible writer of titles. When I wrote The Orchid Thief, I had a different title for the book that I was bound and determined to use because I thought it was amazing. The title that I had that I thought was amazing was The Millionaire's Hothouse. And I was convinced that this was the best title ever. My publisher got the book, told me he loved the book, said he had one issue. He didn't love the title. And I was just shocked. And I thought, well, what do you mean you don't like it's the best title in the world? He said, well, what about this? The Orchid Thief. And I said, well, that's just horrible. That's a horrible title. And he said, well, why don't you just sleep on it? And I went to a bunch of friends and I said, which title do you think is better? The Orchid Thief or The Millionaire's Hothouse? All of them said The Orchid Thief. And at that point, I was worn down. I mean, (laughs) you know, I just felt like, well, obviously people are missing the obvious, which is that this is a terrible title. (laughs) Of course, I have been told a million times by people, oh my God, that's the best title ever. And I always say, well, thank you. You know, (laughs) it was hard to come up with. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. I mean, it's funny because it's an art form and it's not necessarily one that comes along with the art form of writing a long story. It's short. It has to have a different quality to it. And I don't think I'm very good at it. Well, good thing they're great editors. Right, exactly. Thank God. I'm going to knock on wood, as we're saying. (laughs) 
Well, Susan, thank you so much. Thanks for coming back on my podcast. And I hope one of these times our paths will connect on the West Coast. And Fingers uh, crossed. Uh, we've had bad timing. I know. That will change because now we're kind of here full time. Okay. And it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I I love it so much. You're so wonderful. Oh, thank to you. support books the way you do. And it's just a real treat to see you. Thank you. You too. I feel the same way. All right. Great talking to you. Have a great day. Feel better. Feel better. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.